Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore will be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. Kelly asked if young people really know even what a mixtape is. I don't know, probably not. Yeah, um, we used to, I used to have to make them on tapes. And you were you would record everything from the radio. Yeah, yeah, I actually did. My first mixtape was um, the Mighty Ducks at the end, you know? Like when the credits roll, it has the full Queen song and I would just take my Walkman and turn the TV up really loud and record it onto a cassette tape. Atia, did you do that? Unfortunately, I loved music when I was young, but. We can do it for you now though. Yeah, well, I'm gonna make a mixtape. We're gonna make a mixtape for each other. <laughs> These are my friends, Kelly and Atia, and I'm so excited. Um, we all just give them a round of applause for being with us this morning. This is not a normal work day for them, so yeah. Um, uh, but they both walked in and were like, so we, we're going to do your job for you this morning, aren't we? Uh, isn't that nice? So I'll have to return the favor at some point. Uh, but I want to give a little bit of background on how we all got connected. Um, so we work together with a group called the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. MFNN is kind of the acronym. You can get more info about them at mfnn.org if you ever want to look them up. But the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network um, is in 20 major cities across the U.S. and in a ton of different countries across the world. Um, and here's kind of what they say about themselves. The Multi-Faith Neighbors Network builds mutual trust and respect among faith leaders through civic engagement, authentic relationships, and honest dialogue leading to resilient, compassionate, and flourishing communities. Communities that are more interconnected and resilient to hate, violence, and polarization. So that's the goal of the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, and it has been such an honor to be a part of. And so what they do in these 20 cities across the country um, is that they try to find a, a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam to come together and to become friends. And to be the start of a joke. That's right. <laughs> And, uh, and then to start hanging out, to become friends, and then, you know, hopefully bring their congregations together, bring fellow clergy together to do important kind of multi-faith work um, all over the city. And so we've been able to do some really cool things together already in just a short time, even during COVID. Um, we came together to pack a bunch of refugee boxes uh, for Afghan refugees coming to Austin. Uh, that was really fun um, and delivered them to the Refugee Services of Texas together. Um, so this is just kind of the next thing in a long series of hopefully a long friendship and partnership together. Um, so I want to start out, though, by letting you all kind of introduce yourself by telling just a little bit of your story, including kind of how you came to be a part of the religion that you're a part of and how you stepped into being a clergy member. So Rabbi Kelly, why don't you start us off? Hello, everyone. Did somebody say shalom? <laughs> Hello kind of sounds like shalom. I mean... Yeah. So my name is Rabbi Kelly Levy. I am an eighth-generation Texan. 
I beat Zach. Yes, you did. I was born in Austin, but I grew up in San Antonio. And yes, there are in fact Jews here in Texas. (laughs) Not many. I I get that question a lot. And uh, we all know each other, as it turns (laughs) out. But we, uh, here in Austin, I'm very excited that I get to serve as the associate rabbi at Congregation Beth Israel, which is the one congregation that's not on the big Shalom Austin campus. We're the ones that are over off of Shoal Creek. So you're always welcome to come say hi. Um, and I, uh, as far back as I can tell, am at least a sixth generation reformed Jew. So my family has been Jewish for a very long time. And my family before coming to Texas actually came over from Europe, uh, mostly in the Polish and Alsace-Lorraine, that kind of area. But we've been in Texas for so long, I just think I'm Texan at this point. <laughs> But I started my rabbinate uh, in 2014 when I was ordained from the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in New York City and started uh, for the first four years in Rochester, New York. So yeah, it's not as hot there, but it's very cold. (laughs) And then came to Austin in 2018 and have been here since then. What was the other part of the question? I think you know it. That was uh, how you became party religion and clergy. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. What, what quickly, what is kind of involved in becoming a rabbi? That's a great question. It depends on who you ask, but I'll tell you from my perspective. Sure. <laughs> so I did have to attend undergrad, so I went to Texas Tech. So anybody out there, Raiders? Oh my God, that's oh. crazy. Over. That yeah. never happens. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. But still, there are there are raiders everywhere. Um, so I got my undergrad in psychology, and then went to rabbinical school, which is a five year program. We spend the first year living in Jerusalem. So I actually graduated from college early, lived in Israel for six months, came back to Texas for a year, and then went back to Jerusalem for a full year, and then moved to New York City for four years to finish up my my uh, ordination. Amazing. Yeah, we, we all joke because they have pretty extensive requirements to become clergy in their respective religions. And they're always like, well, how do you become a pastor? I'm like, you just be like, I'm a pastor. And then you're, you're one. Um, it says a lot about you, you Zach. I, I have done seminary and a bunch of other things and ordination and things like that. Um, but in reality, yeah, you can just kind of be like, no, I'm one. Yeah, mark me down. Okay. Well, Atia's story is much more interesting. Yes, Atia, tell us about you. Right, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Zach, for the invitation. Thank you to the community for welcoming us here. Um, you, you said you're eighth generation uh, Texan, Zach? So I think fifth, fourth, something like that, yeah. So I don't know what do I count, like, because I was born in Egypt, so <laughs> do I count as first generation Texan now? I don't know if it counts, <laughs> but maybe my children will count. So there you go. I yeah. have two children. Uh, so yes, I was born and raised in Egypt. Um, spent all my life up to high school in a very small village on the Mediterranean in Egypt before moving to Cairo where I lived for about 10 years, went to school. Uh, Zach is right, it's very tough to be an imam, you know. I mean, it's, beca- it's changing. <laughs> you, you know, a lot of people are just like becoming imams without much qualification. <laughs> but I had to do probably about, I don't know, like 23 years or 20, about 20 years of 20 years. studying like seminary, studying elementary, middle, high school, college, and then grad school. So it's like the path is very long, and the pay is not that much. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got that in common, though. That's, that's something we share, yeah. yeah. So, yes, and I moved to Texas here in uh, 2012. So I've been here about like almost 10 years now. 
have served as the Imam of the Islamic Center of Greater Austin, uh, East Austin, and now I'm serving as the Imam in the Islamic Center of Lake Travis. I don't have a boat yet. I don't have jet ski, so hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully soon I will have one. Yes. yes so. I'm also praying for that, yes. <laughs> yes. How, do I, how did I become an Imam? Yeah, like, I guess why, you know? Did you always want to be one? Yeah, I, I think, you know, growing up, my generation, everyone, I think it was, I don't know, the beginning, or maybe it started earlier, but everyone was becoming more materialistic and, you know, deviating away from God and from the truth. So I find it like, you know, you know I, I, I always hold my, my, my colleague in the school and uh, my neighbors and, you know, youth in our network. I play soccer every, hopefully every week. <laughs> like, but in Egyptian style, when Egyptian style, Arab style of playing soccer is, is weird because we play mostly, at least my group, we play from 11 midnight all the way until 2 a.m. So wow. I played soccer last night until but 3 But that's when it's not hot, so that that's makes true. sense. That's true, yeah, God. <laughs> we play indoor anyway, so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I played soccer in Egypt like barefoot so we play barefoot like when it's very hot and you have we don't have grass we don't have like oh. you know turf or uh, grass so you play on actually where it's like small bubbles so wow. it's so hot uh, maybe 40s or 35 around and you're just running so you have like all the swords in your feet so yes and i grew up farming by the way my father had a farm so i grew up farming until high school i wish i can go back and and experience this again but i don't know how different that would be yeah. so how did i become an imam or what is, what is, what is uh, you know, what, what made me an imam? I had an uncle who always prayed. He had like many sons, like, and he wanted one of them to be an imam. So he kept pushing one of them, none of them wanted to be an imam. Then he turned to me, Atiyah, you are my last hope. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, you know, he died, you know, before I, I officially became an imam. And then maybe I said this was the call. And then I found out that my mother is making prayer to God every day that Allah make Atiyah an Imam, make him an Imam. And I actually started teaching English, so I, I learned English in Egypt, so I started teaching English for about three or four years. Okay. And then I thought that that's it, I'm free now, I don't have to be an Imam anymore. <laughs> I'm back again and then uh, on the path. So it just like, it was an interesting uh, path. Oh, that's the power of a mother's prayers. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Or a mother's guilt. That's right, or a mother's guilt, yeah. One in the same, maybe, one in the same. Um, awesome. Okay. Now, uh, obviously, you know, the United States is a majority Christian or, you know, country. Um, and so as uh, minority religions in a majority Christian country, um, I know that you all deal with like misconceptions about what you believe, how you practice your faith, things like that, um, especially from, you know, Christians. They're all out there. No one uh, here, yeah. though. No, no. We're great. We're great. We're talking about other people that are terrible. Yeah. That, none of them are here. We're all awesome. But um, what are some misconceptions that people, you know, have had about your faith and um, what does it look like to kind of correct some of those things? You go first. Ati, you want to go first? Yes. Um, Kill is right, you know. This is not the group we're talking about. <laughs> but, but honestly, in, in Austin, I wouldn't say Texas, in Austin specifically, I think, you know, as uh, people of other faith, other faith, I think we have, uh, we are very, we feel welcome that we wouldn't have, we don't experience that much uh, of what other people experience in other cities. But I think maybe one I can highlight is um, you're Muslim, uh, then you, should be, you shouldn't be here. This is, the, you know, Islam is like a Middle Eastern religion. Mm -hmm. Islam is Arab religion. 
why are in, you are in this country and you always hear this, you know, go back home, this is not your place. This is something that we always um, hear while it's, you know, if you study history, um, take a class at UT and, you know, a lot of stories that we read, like, you know, you know, from, you know, back on the time, there have been all those Muslims, they, they even like reports that they, that they came with um, the first uh, explorers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, it's regardless, you know, we're here, so, you know, <laughs> we're not, we're here, so, yeah. That's, that's one misconception, because Islam is a universal religion. We believe that Islam is a universal religion, so it is practiced wherever, uh, might, wherever people might, you know, want to, and then a lot of people migrate, so it's, yeah. it's everywhere. That's awesome. That's one. That's great. The second is close. Yeah, you have one? This is hard to answer because you could look at it from so many different sure, perspectives. Totally. So there's like the historical perspective, the, there's the, the more contemporary stereotypical perspective. So, you know, from the historical perspective, there's a lot of misunderstanding about how Jews practice their faith. And, um, you know, I think one of the things to keep in mind about Judaism today is that we have different branches of Judaism. So when people picture a Jew, they're often thinking of what I would say is an ultra-Orthodox Jewish person, somebody, you know, a man who has a big beard, who, who, uh, who has what are called peyote, the, the earlocks, and, and, you know, has the big hat on, and the women who are dressed, you know, in what's called sniut, or very modest clothing, and they would be covered up. Um, women don't have a voice in that branch of Judaism, and those stereotypes that you're picturing are true a lot of the time in that particular branch of Judaism, but in modern orthodoxy and in conservative Judaism and in reform Judaism, that's just, it's just not true. I mean, in, in ultra-orthodoxy, you wouldn't find women who could be rabbis, but hello. There's one right there. <laughs> uh, last, last weekend, we celebrated the 50th ordination of Sally Presand, who was ordained as a rabbi, the first from a seminary and the first in the United States. Uh, this, this last weekend was 50 years. So it's, it's very um, common that I will meet somebody and they'll find out I'm a rabbi and they'll say, women can be rabbis? And I'm like, I'm literally standing right here. <laughs> so yes, um, but it's, it's one of those things that there's a misconception about how the different branches of Judaism function and what the differences between them all are. Yeah, that's good. I think that was something you've taught me a ton about um, because I had an assumption of like maybe like two different kinds, right? There was like orth ultra-Orthodox and then there's just like people who just like are call themselves Jewish but like don't really do anything, right? Yeah. Like engage with the faith. Like Reformed Jews. Yeah, no, not you. No, you're great. You almost got me. You almost tricked me into... Being mean, no, no. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really diverse crew. Um, but the Austin population is relatively small like, compared to other major cities in America. Definitely. It's yeah. one of the things that growing up in Texas was, was different for me than when I was in New York City. Yeah. So in New York, uh, you get the High Holy Days off. Those are days that everybody in the entire city takes off because there are a lot of Jewish students, but there's a lot of Jewish teachers, right. and they wouldn't have anybody there, so they sure. take they get those days off. Whereas I would have to go and bring a letter and get an excused absence, and if I had to miss a test and have it rescheduled because they always schedule tests on those days, right. and it was always something that you had to fight for. Whereas it was just a given in other parts of the country. Yeah. So the Jewish population in Texas is bigger than you might think. But it's still nothing compared to California, New York, even Flor well, Florida. A lot of Jews in Florida. A lot. They're all old, though. Okay. That's all people in Florida are old. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. True. yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like it. It feels like it's true. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think, you know, that's something that, like, I would never think about, right? Like, I get all of, we get all of our holy days off, right? Like, I mean, I get yours too, yeah, just to that's be nice. fair. <laughs> we get rodeo days off here in Texas. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. I grew up in San Antonio. We had Fiesta. That's right. You get all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I want to ask you guys about what's, what's the most kind of spiritual, intimate encounter with God that you've had, right? Like, and then kind of where were you? What were the circumstances around it? What did you feel? What was happening? Was it inside of a, uh, a religious service or was it, you know, somewhere out in nature? How did that happen? Atia, would you start us off? Yeah, there's so many of them, but um, maybe I think the, 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 the one that I really felt closest to God uh, I was in high school. My father passed away when I was in the last year in high school. And if you don't know the, the, the system in Egypt, the education system in Egypt, that if you fail one subject, your GPA is just like, you know, all school. So, and there is no second chance. You just, you got one chance in the third year, which is the 12th grade, okay. one shot to take your exams and to, you know, that's all your GPA that will determine the rest of your life because it determines what college you go to and so on. So I had a test that, that I was taking and I was really sick, and um, it's a, it was an oral test, and usually uh, it was about recitation, choir recitation, it was like something uh, about this. And then the, the, those who were testing us, you know, they were not happy, they test us in pairs. So my partner, they didn't like him for, I don't know what he did, <laughs> he did something before the decision, so he did something really bad. And as soon as they saw him, they thought that we are together. I, I didn't get to choose my partner. I think they do like certain numbers. So as soon as they saw him, they said, you guys are going to get ready to study for the summer. Because if you fail one subject, you have a chance in the summer to take it. If you pass the summer session, you're good. If not, then you repeat the entire year again. Wow. So yes, they all subjects. All those that you pass, then you have to repeat them again. Wow. So it's like, and then they started just like asking the, the toughest questions. They just, you know, you know if, if, a, if a tester wants to fail you, yeah. they can make it happen. And it's an oral test that they didn't have anything written to really stick to. So it was just like out of their mind, just making up any questions. And I just like say, every time I try, then it's stuck. So out of like maybe five or six questions, probably I didn't answer maybe one and a half or so. And then they said, okay, get ready to study for the summer. I said, okay, <laughs> I will. I, I, you know, and then I left and then I, I thought literally, it's like as I felt that they have already put like a grade, a failing grade. Probably I've seen something, you know, I'm not very sure, but I felt like they already put a failing grade. I went home and I said, you know what? I don't care. They already, you know, put the score and maybe they submitted it to the, to the school district and I think it's done with, but I, I think God can make it. And this is this was going in my head, you know. I don't care. God can make it happen. God can make someone make a mistake. You know, those who are entering the grades will change it. You know, God can make it happen somehow. And you know, I prayed and I prayed. At this time, I really felt like when you feel hopeless, I think that's sometimes you know that's the, the closest we get to God. You know, yeah, you are detaching yourself from everything that could help you, and you're saying, you know. There's no one else, you know, saying how, how good God is and how great he is and he is sufficient. All these good things we hear about God is true, you know. At this time, I really felt it. 
and that was like, you know, the, I think the, 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 the spiritual high that I have. I don't think I've ever experienced it again because we're yeah. always like in a situation we, we can manage our life to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. And I, I passed the subject. I don't know how. I just passed it. <laughs> Maybe they felt sorry for you me. I don't know what happened. But I did pass, you know, the subject. And, you know, that's you know, something I'll always remember. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Bye. Yeah, y'all can clap. Yeah, Mazalto van passing. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my story's a little sadder than that, but so when I was in uh, college in my junior year, my grandmother, my mom's mom, had been very, very sick for many years. She had had different uh, types of cancer, and they had metastasized, and she was clearly not going to make it. And so she lived out in Arizona. And during our winter break, so junior year, my mom and brother and sister and I drove from San Antonio overnight to Arizona to be with her. And we were there for, I think, three or four days. And she was in and out of lucidity. And this was before I had any pastoral care training and before I had spent time with people who were ill. And I actually spent my final, my final year of rabbinical school in palliative care. So I spent a lot of time with people who were in this moment in their life. And this was before all of that. So I didn't understand what she was going through. But her lucidity was really, it was not good the whole time we were there. She would do things like, oh, I'm climbing a ladder, or, oh, I, you know, she just, she wasn't with us. She didn't really know who we were. Um, and then the morning that we were saying goodbye, we knew that we were saying goodbye, hmm. that we were not just saying, see you next time. We were saying, we love you so much, and, you know, you are, you're the one that we will remember forever and always. And despite having been completely out of it for days, in that moment, she suddenly became so lucid, and she became very aware of why we were saying goodbye to her. And it was as though somebody, something, some divine entity was giving her that moment with us. And it was just the three, my, me, my brother, and my sister, uh, in the room with her. And she was crying, and we were crying, because we knew that we were getting to say those final important words to one another. And so in that moment, I felt absolutely clear, and I felt like somebody, that God was there with us, making sure that we could have that conversation. And it's a moment that I will carry with me forever and always, and know that in those moments, like Atia said, that when you need God, when you need that support, they're there. Hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, I'm thinking about mine, and um, I've told this story here before, but it's been years. Um, my oldest son, Judah, who's seven now, um, right after we moved here, we were kind of getting everything started to get the church off the ground, and we were doing like kind of preview Sundays, like monthly gatherings before we started weekly. And um, the Sunday of our last gathering, um, he ends up having this, this grand mal seizure and, and passes out. And like, you know, we thought he had passed away. And I remember we were in the third floor of this one bedroom apartment and um, we were around the corner from a fire station. So I like, you know, didn't even know what to do. It was like, I felt like I could get him to the fire station quicker than even 911. So I like carry him down and, and he was like lifeless in my arms, you know. And, I, we would drive as fast as he can to the fire station and, and hand him, you know, we were honking, the firemen come out and tell him what's going on, and I kind of hand him over. And I remember just, like, collapsing on the floor of the fire station and just, like, weeping and felt like, you know, almost like literal arms, like, around me from God's presence in that moment. And I, I think about how, like, we share, like, 
uh, you know, we, we've talked at lunch numerous times and one-on-one -on -one that we believe different things about a myriad of things, right? But the fact that, like, we've all experienced the, the intimacy of God in moments of, like, helplessness and desperation, I think is a really cool, beautiful, like, uniting factor for all of us. Um, another thing that we talk about a lot that unites us is, is the hope, um, and MFNN talks about this a lot, right, that the hope to push back against kind of hate and violence and, and religious persecution and, and pro-religious freedom for all people and things like that. And so I want to ask you guys about something that I know has been difficult for both of you. Um, it's, it's unbelievable that this is true, um, but I think that is me saying that from a fairly privileged perspective, but both of you and your congregations have actually endured hateful attacks um, from people claiming to be Christians just since we've known each other, right? Um, and so could you each talk about that, what happened, um, how you were kind of made to feel, and then how Christians, especially like us, can do better to like support, um, call out things in our own circles, stuff like that. Kelly, would you go first? So on October 31st, uh, we received notification that the Austin Fire Department was at my congregation. Uh, I, they sent out a tweet with a photo of our sanctuary doors, and I was actually getting ready for bed. I had just taken some sleeping pills. <laughs> um, and my friend, who's also a congregant, sent the tweet to me and said, oh my God, is this CBI? And I said, what? And Because nobody had been notified. Nobody wow. knew what was going on. And I called the president of the congregation. Um, one other thing to note was that on October 1st, we actually fired our executive director for a lot of things. But so our president was really serving as the ED at the time as well. So I called her and I said, hey, what's going on? And she says, I have no idea what you're talking about because she hadn't been notified either. Wow. And um, she had also just taken some sleeping pills. Gosh, yeah. Jews don't sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> So I was thinking, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this moment, but she got her husband to drive her down, and they got to the temple, and it turns out that an 18-year-old who was studying at Texas State had come to our congregation, and he took some accelerant and poured it all over the doors of our sanctuary, which are wooden, and took a, um, a brick and threw it through our stained glass windows that are above the door, and he lit a roll of toilet paper of all things on fire and put it on the door and lit the doors on fire. Now, there are a couple things to note about this situation. One, we are very fortunate that our building is primarily concrete. So other than the doors being on fire, it couldn't, the fire couldn't spread. The other thing that's important is he also had put accelerant under the door so that it would go inside on the floor. Um, that floor had previously been carpet but it had been uh, refurbished and renovated to be a marble floor. Now, had it been carpet, Jeez, yeah. it would have been a much different situation. So the fire was mostly contained to the doors, but because of him throwing the brick through the uh, stained glass windows, the smoke damage was fairly excessive into the building and into our sanctuary. Um, we are fortunate to be recipients of two different uh, Department of Homeland Security grants, and so we had been able to update our uh, video camera footage and just all the different things that you need to do in a moment like this. So in addition to that, our cantorial soloist, the wonderful uh, woman and my friend and colleague who does all of our music for us, 
remembered that from the, this was a Sunday night, that from the Wednesday night before, she was leaving from being here and she was in the parking lot and there was this random car that showed up and was being a little bit sketchy, which happens a lot in a synagogue, just so you know. <laughs> and she remembered watching him, seeing him drive in a very strange way. And she waited until he left the parking lot, but she remembered this. So after the fire had happened, they saw the footage, they had a, a pretty good idea of what his car looked like. Um, but because she remembered this, they were able to go back to the footage from Wednesday and get a really clear shot of his car and the license plate and his face. Because when he did the fire, he wore a bandana over his face. So all of this is to say, sorry, this is a long story. Oh, great. Um, he did uh, he did get caught about a week and a half after the fire because of all of this wonderful uh, footage that we had. And in the time that he got caught, it turns out that he already had, he was a freshman at Texas State. He already had been arrested for some uh, assaults against people of color. So he clearly has a history um, in his very brief time. And he is, he has been indicted on three different uh, crimes, but one of them is specifically a hate crime because it is a hate crime. And he is going to be, he's currently being, uh, they're assessing to see if he's able to, if he's competent to stand trial, which I've learned a lot of legal things. I didn't want to know about this. Um, at first, when I found out he was 18, I thought, oh my gosh, we have to do something to help this kid to, to do some restorative justice. I want to... I don't want this kid's life to be ruined because he did this terrible thing because he was so ignorant. But as we've uncovered and, and investigated and found out more about who he is, um, I'm sad to say that I don't think there is gonna be any restorative justice for him. Um, I don't think that he, and I think that he will go to a federal prison. He will probably go to prison for about 50 years. He is not going to meet anybody there who's going to help this situation. Yeah. So um, we are still dealing with this. We have to close our sanctuary permanently until we're able to fully repair it. So there was some minor fire damage, excessive smoke damage, but the bigger issue is the um, deferred maintenance on our building, which was built in the 1960s. So there is asbestos that we are gonna have to remediate. And there are some other structural issues with the building itself. So in the meantime, we can't be in our sanctuary. We have to close it until we're able to <clears throat> fully repair it. We are using our auditorium space for our sanctuary, and it's not great. It works as best as we possibly can. Um, but in the meantime, we're gonna be out of our sanctuary for at least the next few years. We are grateful that our friends over at St. Matthew's Episcopal, mm -hmm. yes, are gonna lend us their space for the High Holy Days in the fall. Um, and they, we said, you know, how much will the rental fee be because that's what we do? And they said, oh no, 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 this is, this is friends helping friends. Um, so when you ask the question, what can yeah. Christians do? It's to call things like this out, to make people aware that this is a thing that happened because after the Colleyville situation happened where my friend and colleague, Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker was held um, for 10 hours, um, People knew all about that, but they didn't know about the fire at my congregation. Sure. And so I think people need to know that this is a thing that happened to be able to speak out and say that this is not what Christianity is about. This is not what humanity is about. Yeah. 
um, and to step up when you can and help each other out. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you guys actually used um, the, on Thursday before Good Friday, right, you used Voxes. Not for, for Good Friday, but for Passover. Not for Good Friday, obviously, yeah, yeah. For Passover. <laughs> Passover, yeah. <laughs> You're not into Good Friday. I yes, get that. No, so, yeah. so our friend, um, Pastor Waylon Lee, he was so wonderful to let us use the, the space over at Vesper um, for our second night uh, community Passover Seder. Yeah. Um, again, for free. Yeah. Um, we're not asking, y'all don't need to do things for us for free, but. We don't own just, this space, but yes. yes, yeah, we, yes. We, we, we were happy to uh, do anything else. It's yes. very sweet and kind to yeah. know that people, and, and the other thing is, I mean, this is so crazy, but after the fire, a, a lot of people did hear about it. And without asking for any donations, we had over six hundred thousand dollars come awesome. in from over the entire country, Beautiful. the world, the world. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I thought it was so cool that because we were there, we did a joint Good Friday service with Vox and a number of other churches that we work with on a regular basis, and y'all were there doing Passover stuff the night before. And I was so. actually there last night. We used their space That's for so a cool. dinner. Yeah, thank you, Callie. Thank you for sharing that. Atia, tell us about what happened to y'all. Yes, you want the fire one or the big one? Both. Tell both. Yeah, shortly, yes. So the place where I moved uh, to now, uh, Islamic Center of Big Drivers, I think in 2017 or 16, the same thing. We received a call around 3 a.m. in the morning, and then there was a fire in the building. It was, you know, in the construction phase, so we were about to end, you know, complete construction. And then we received a call that it is burned to the ground. So that was completely uh, gone. It's not a big building, it's a small building and we were not at the advantage of having any concrete, so it was all wood, so it was easy. Um, you know, a few minutes, it was all gone. Yeah, so um, we're, we're lucky again to, to get so much support from the community. Um, one thing I grew up learning in Egypt, and, and you know, it's, it's established in our tradition that you know, violence, hate, uh, has no religion. So we, we learned that yeah. you know, if something like this happens, you know, never blame it on any religion. Individuals who either misunderstand the religion or are not part of the religion or who need have other issues that they mm -hmm. uh, need to work with. Yeah. yeah, so again, you know, we received a lot of donations from people, from our neighbors, from everyone that were able to, again, re resume construction, restart construction again. And we, we completed the, the mosque and it was built in 2018, completed, and then it's, it's there now. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, so you're all welcome to, to join us anytime. It is it's considered like you're going in, in a picnic. You will have like you'll have a lot of fun there. Forget about the mosque. Like you know, that was <laughs> the yes. yes. So this was uh, the place where I serve now. Uh, I moved to this place in, in December. In September, where I used to serve the Islamic Center of Greater Austin, 9/11, um, and you know when it's 9/11, uh, every Muslim is just like you know. This is a day that I'm going to receive so much, yeah. you know, you know, you know, heat from people. It's less and less now, but it is still happening to a certain extent, you know. Um, but on this day, we I, I'm going to the mosque in the morning, and again, you're lucky because the service starts at nine, uh, nine or ten. You know, it's good. Um, I have service at. 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go to the mosque at 5 a.m. in the morning. So you can imagine playing soccer until 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> that's a personal choice, though. Yeah, you know, that's... Yeah. Okay. I'm enjoying it. Okay. No sleep deprived. Muslims are never sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I find this sign. I'm, I'm, I think Zach shared it in his Facebook page. I don't remember everything, but I, I think it says, uh, 
you you Muslims are as filthy as pig yeah. pigs, and we will cleanse you with the blood of Jesus. And it was like I, I think that the sign had the, the the head of a pig on a stake, and then the sign still was blood in it. So I was like, and to be honest, from my perspective. I didn't think that this is a big deal. I was just about to go and remove the sign, trash it, and just like, no big deal. But the mosque administration, no, 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 wait. This is, we have to. By the way, we didn't catch the guy that did the fire, and there's no luck with this. And the same thing with the sign. We, we reported it, you know. They did the investigation, but there's no way we can tell. Even the cameras, they, they put it from a spot where the camera would not be able to catch them. So, you know, just like a file, and, and, and the case closed, and, and there's no issues. But again, we're not experiencing anything like serious. Again, we continue to feel the support from the community. Something like this happens, we know that it is someone, you know, who does not belong to any faith, true faith. That's, yeah. that's what we believe in. I mean, I think it's something that a lot of Christians don't realize that part of our annual budget is security, hmm. because we have to have security for every single event we do. And when the fire happened, we had to go from having security just for Shabbat services and for other holiday events and community events to every single day. And we have a security guard on, on our premises every day. And I said, we're the ones that are not over at the campus, so they have a whole wall. They, they are within a very secure space. We are not. And so we have a, a security guard every single day. We also have a pre-K program at our, at our congregation, and we have to protect our children. My children go there. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that a lot of, I think a lot of other faiths don't really, I mean, do you guys have security? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. any event, like a congregation like this, you'll always have a security. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can do it on our own. We have people who can take care of the job. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, like any service, we have to hire like, you know, the police officers or, you know, uh, Travis County has been very helpful. Yeah, Travis County Sheriff's been Department. Been Shout out to them. They're great. Yes, they're very, been very helpful. Yeah. And so we, we probably were against the bill to cut. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's just something like you're saying that we wouldn't like think a lot about, right? Um, I also think like Atia from your story of like you walked up and there was like the drawing of the pig head on the stake and we're going to cleanse you with the blood of Jesus. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, that's right. It was like a, was it like a fake pig head or something? It was like a... It's a I think it was a mask. But something, it, yeah. Or it was, or like it was a real, it was something gross, though. But yeah, that you walk up and you're just like, eh, which, another day. Which for both of our faiths. Like, that's just like... Yeah, but for both of right. our faiths, pig is like a really, like, we don't do that. Right, So right. And the person obviously knows this, right? That's like a part of the intimidating part. But yeah, I just think that stuff that, like, I'm just glad that we can be more aware of um, and to speak out against. Um, and I think that... Like we have a responsibility as Christians um, to speak against um, people that are using the name of Jesus in hateful ways, um, and unfortunately, I think we see that like we, that's on the rise. Um, like all of the studies and um, stuff, like hate crimes, um, specifically religious hate crimes and stuff, are on the rise. Racial hate crimes are on the rise, and things like that. So I think we have this responsibility um, as Christians to speak out against that. Um, and I hope that today is a part of putting like a lovely, sweet face um, on your uh, intention and need to speak out against that. Um, and uh, I think that, that's been such a huge, I mean, I, I think I've, I've always been like against violence and religious persecution and things like that, right? But it was different when these two things happened and I was like, these didn't just happen to like a Jewish neighbor or an, uh, a Muslim neighbor, like these happened to my friends, 
right? And that's like a whole different thing. Um, and so I hope that um, that's a long-term part of not just us being friends, but that um, our churches and congregations and people can become friends and connect with each and, other. And that's what our community actually feels like, you know, when something happens, we know we have friends who can help us, who yeah. can protect us. So we, we do have, feel that friendship. You know, Good. And the com- all community members, they actually feel it. Good. And I hope that you know that you can always call and We'll always be around. I have your number. You do, yeah. Anything you need, anything you need. Well, any last words for us before we close it out? Just thank you so much for having us and for starting this conversation. And I know that we will do this again sometime so we can do your job for you. Absolutely. Anytime. You're always welcome. I, you had more questions, so we can do those another time. Yeah, we will. We will. Yes. Thank you, Zach, again for the invitation and to the team. I really loved the, yeah, Atia said he's right? like, my services are so boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get advantage of first Zach, yeah. and then standing when music is being played, I don't know, it's, it's just a tradition that you always... Yeah, say. yeah. So it is actually helpful, like, you, you, you really get to, to stretch out. <laughs> and it's good, you know. And um, I, I mean, mean, we do it too. If I bring my son here, I'll be <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Well, right now, actually, we're going to go do baptisms for both of you. So we're going to go on the back to bring your son next time. And yeah, it is hot. It is hot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I'm so thankful. Y'all give them another round of applause for being here. I'm about to end it. Yeah, so... Um, we'll, we'll hang out up here for a couple of minutes afterwards if you want to just say hi to either of them or, or to me. You can say hi to me too if you'd like. Um, uh, please don't like berate them with a million questions. But if you have a quick question or something, that's totally fine. They're so kind and generous with their time. So we'll be up here if you want to do that. Um, but thank you so much for being here. It's a great kickoff to summer mixtape. I hope we have an awesome rest of these uh, five weeks. So hope to see you next week. Bye.